1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. I hope everyone is doing great this Wednesday evening, going into Thursday morning, folks. We are getting closer and closer to Christmas. I hope everyone is getting all their shopping done. I know a lot of people are scaling back this year due to inflation, and that's okay. Don't feel bad about that. Christmas is really about being with your family, ladies and gentlemen, or being by yourself, if that's what you prefer. Just be happy, folks. Happiness is in your heart to each his own. You're going to find your own way to celebrate this joyous season. Try not to think too much about politics and what's going on around the world. Just give yourself a day or two to relax, ladies and gentlemen. Drink some hot cocoa, drink some eggnog, drink some apple cider, or maybe drink. A whole bottle of vodka. I don't know. Whatever floats your boat, folks. All right. I got a late start today, so the show is coming out uh, at midnight, but I'm going to be putting it together late. This is episode 112. I actually slept in today, believe it or not, until ten twelve a.m. I'm usually up by 6, 630, and this morning was crazy, folks. I've just been so tired, I think, from waking up three, four times in the middle of the night with Willie G. Uh, We get up. My wife breastfeeds him. Then I usually rock him back to sleep after I change his diaper. And so the last uh, week, it's just, I guess it was beating me up. And so this morning Willie got up at about six. That's when he gets up and he was kind of crying. Uh, it's like a witching hour colic kind of thing. Anyway, I've done a lot of research on it. So I was practicing this new method over the last few days. And this has to do with letting the baby release some of their energy. Uh, they have built up energy in them and they can't get home from work, right? And drink a glass of wine, smoke a joint or a cigarette like we do. Uh, they can't go to the gym. They can't jog and they can't get in a fight with their spouse. So what they do is they start freaking out, and they pump their arms and their legs, and they cry. And so when we pick them up, and we shake them, and we go, in their face, we're actually overstimulating them. Now, this isn't for all babies. This isn't across the board. There's a hundred different ways to approach each issue. Every baby's different. Every parent is different. Every situation is different. So what's happening over the last month, because Willie turned a month yesterday, On December 13th, I'm starting to be able to figure out which cry is when he's hungry, which cry is when he wants his diaper changed, which cry is uh, sort of this witching hour, colic, kind of blowing off steam, Uh, and then pain, which he hasn't had one of those yet, so I don't know what his pain cry is actually looks like and then he, he gets a little bit of little gas you know when he eats too fast and you got to burp him but sometimes it gets hung up in there so anyway he gets up at six and he's throwing a little bit of a tantrum after he eats and so i let him cry it out lasted uh 11 minutes and if you pick him up and you keep playing with him and stuff and jiggle him around, this process could go two hours. So it goes 11 minutes. He cries it out. He snuggles up in my arms. Uh, I'm laying on my left side. And he snuggles up in a fetal position, like against my chest and my shoulder. And I fall asleep with him. This is about 6.30, 6.40 in the morning. Next thing you know, it's 10.12. I noticed my wife standing over me taking a picture of us, and I sometimes fall asleep on my back with my left or right arm over my head, all right, and so I had my left arm over my head, and Willie's next to me on the left side. He's in the center of the bed. I sleep on the right side, and uh, he's got his left arm over his head, too, so she gets this great picture. I stuck it up over at... uh, over at Twitter, at Hackable Animal. You can check that out. So anyway, 10, 12 a.m. I, I was like, this is nuts. i never sleep that late. But at least I'm well-rested. I ran around, did some Christmas errands today. I talked to a couple people that are going to come on the show. So we're lining that up as well, folks. Uh, in fact, I talked to a good friend of mine, Chrissy Piccolo. She's been on this show, The Dust Gold Standard. And I was on her show, Real World Witness. I re-aired that on uh, this podcast channel, if you could, folks, if you could find an extra minute tonight or tomorrow night, whenever you're listening, to just say a prayer for Chrissy's mom. All right, Chrissy was adamant from day one about not getting the vaccine, not being tested for uh, COVID or whatever the hell it is. And so she held her ground, as did I and many others, many of you out there. But her family members didn't want to listen to her. And so her mother... Got the vaccine. And last night she was having chest pains and she got rushed into the hospital. And uh, turns out she's got a blood clot in her intestines. And so she was being rushed in this afternoon to emergency surgery. Now, the end of the day, we can't definitively say that's because of the jab or because of the booster or whatever. But I know a lot of us are seeing more and more occurrences, this occurring in our personal lives. And the experts will say, Oh, that's anecdotal. Well, I'll tell you this in my immediate family, there are several people that are vaccinated and boosters, some with multiple boosters, and some of them literally have COVID testing kits at home. And they test themselves every time they get the sniffles. They're basically germophobes for the rest of their lives now. Hypochondriacs. And so uh, they're getting sick all the time. They've got COVID three, four times. Supposedly COVID, whatever the test tells them it is. Uh, a COVID three, four times. Uh, I know people that have gotten jabbed that have cancer, blood clots, stroke, you know, heart problems, all types of things. A uh, cousin of mine, she got jabbed while she was pregnant. Her daughter was born with a rare disease. I believe it was one in 500,000 or one in a million normally we get this disease. Her daughter has a disease for the rest of her life. Her daughter has to take medicine daily and visit the doctor once a month. Okay, I have friends of ours that have been jabbed and boosted, that wanted to have kids, they're having problems having kids. Uh, we know from our doula that there is this new phenomenon amongst the jabs where women's water is breaking long before they actually go into labor. We've had several situations of people we met through the midwife circle, people that were jabbed whose kids were born, stillborn folks, dead. So they can say it's anecdotal. Obviously, everyone is on high alert. The people who are jabbed up like to look for people that are not jabbed who are dying and say that's because they didn't have the jab. And those of us who are not jabbed, we point out these things and say these people are dying or getting sick because they are jabbed. At the end of the day, we're we're not really going to know. But we all have our personal belief on this. So if you could just uh, say a prayer for Chrissy Piccolo for me. Uh, And her mom, I would really appreciate that. I know Chrissy would. And, um, you know, it's it's a very sad situation because so many of us fought with and battled our relatives. And you know what? They were fighting us and trying to tell us to get the jab because they thought it was going to save us. And we were telling them not to get the jab because we thought that would save them. And at the end of the day, I think most people are decent. Dumb, but decent really dumb, but decent. And so we were all trying to protect each other. And that's something that I think we have to look at the bright side of this, that we were all trying to protect each other. All right. There was someone on Twitter earlier today. I just want to address this, who was having an issue. I guess they were released from the hospital and they were at uh, physical training and something was going on between the physical training facility and their insurance company and they were saying that they couldn't leave the physical training facility and if they didn't complete whatever it was they were there for that the insurance company wasn't going to pay the bill and so i was tweeting back and forth with this person now again i don't know if this person is real who who knows these days when you're dealing with uh when you're dealing with twitter But uh, I just want to address this. And this is from everything that I learned in case anyone ends up in this situation. When we were at the hospital, when my wife and I ended up at the hospital where we did not want to be for the birth of our child, uh, you can listen to episode 89 if you want to know the whole story. As soon as Willie G was born and he was cleared by the NICU team, all right, and he was in my wife's arms and we got moved over to the like recovery area. Her doctor, uh, not her doctor, but the doctor assigned to her by the hospital that delivered the baby, uh, the OBGYN. <laughs> and then Willie's doctor, not his doctor, but the uh, because his doctor isn't part of the insurance network there, so she was not allowed into the hospital. But the doctor, they assigned him, the pediatrician. Both of them wanted to hold Maggie and Willie there for multiple days. Well, about five, six hours after the birth uh maggie was up going to the bathroom she was fine everything was great willie was doing great and so she wanted to go home she wanted to come back home and so as i said to the nurse who had put in, been put in charge of taking care of them i said we're, we're checking out of here and the nurse said well if you leave against the doctor's orders your insurance company won't pay for the visit now i knew that didn't sound right and i had heard of it before so I texted Ardula and I said, Alyssa, blah, 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 is this true? And Alyssa said, no, that's not true. It's a complete and total lie. So I go on the internet, because Maggie, you know, is kind of freaked out. She goes, oh my God, we can't have this. What if the insurance doesn't cover it? I said, let me check it out. So I found an article on the American Medical Association site. No friend of ours, folks, but... Right on there, it said, that has been a lie. It's been a rumor for many years. Doctors actually train the nurses to say that, and they believe it. To basically say that if you leave the hospital against the doctor's orders, that the insurance company is not going to pay for it. Well, anyway, I start looking up on Blue Cross's site. Could find nothing about this. Right, so it's not true. One of the reasons, if you use common sense, as I was doing in that moment, as I was doing research, where you would know it was not true, is if you went into the hospital, let's just say this was a long-term stretch, and you had cancer. And first, the hospital doctor says they want to give you, I don't know, chemotherapy. So they give you, I don't know, 10 treatments of chemotherapy. And then they reevaluate and they come back and they say, we want to give you radiation. And you say, I don't want radiation. You know what, I'm checking out, I'd rather die. Well, the insurance company is going to say, we're not paying for your chemo because you won't do radiation. In fact, all these things that you deny end up costing the insurance company zero. So I understand from the liability perspective, if the doctors actually think you have a problem, for instance, let's say Maggie had blood clots, which she did not. There was nothing wrong. The doctor couldn't give me any reason. Or let's say Willie G had some infection in his lung, which he did not. The doctor could give me no reason other than precautionary for both of them for them to stay you know i understand from a liability perspective if they say listen your wife has blood clots and she could literally die tonight we've got her on some medication and we want to monitor her for overnight you know you're being an asshole if you want to take her home you're not being responsible so i get that all right i get that and so they make you sign a consent form that says you're leaving against the doctor's orders now i assumed Because they were making a big deal out of Maggie and Willie. You'd get a handwritten letter from each doctor laying out the case for why they want you to stay. No. It was just generic one paragraph form. One had Willie's name on it and one had Maggie's name on it. And it said, I'm leaving against the doctor's orders. That's it. So based on all the research I did, and I did more of it later. Now, I'm not an insurance expert. I obviously don't work in a hospital. So... You don't take my word. You've got to do your own research. But as far as I am aware, it's a complete and total lie. So if you deny certain care at the hospital, your insurance company is going to still pay, you know, minus your deductible um, for whatever treatment you got prior to when you actually denied treatment you are allowed to deny treatment you don't have to do what the doctor says because if it was a blanket situation like that let's say the doctor came in the room and he was an alcoholic and he smelled like booze and he you go in there to get stitches on your finger and the doctor stitches him up but then comes in and says he wants to cut your left arm off and you say no i'm not letting you cut my left arm off and then your insurance company says well we're not paying for the stitches so folks you can leave anytime you want. You're not in a prison. You know, if you actually talk to the doctor and nurse and you push them and you understand your rights as a patient, they will end up telling you you're not in prison. You can leave uh, based on your own free will. So just a lesson out there in case you end up in that situation. We're going to get into some of that with the healing doc from Twitter. He's going to be on the show on January fourth all right ladies and gentlemen when i get back we've got a cruise through this we're wrapping up the international monetary fund central bank digital currencies for financial inclusion risks and rewards which was from october 14 2022 and then we're going to get into the uh the uh global i mean th- this is going to blow you away this is the world government summit on the new world order which took place in June of 2022. So we're going to start on that tonight. If we could wrap up with the International Monetary Fund CBDC panel discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is and Gold with the Dust and Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. you listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.TV. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold and you are listening to Payne.TV slash gold. I hope everyone is doing great, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get ready to rock and roll. All right, I'm going to bring this back up here, ladies and gentlemen, first, uh, as we always do when we're bringing back this stuff. And unfortunately, what happens is I can't pack all this into one episode for you. I just can't, because when these uh, panel discussions are an hour long... You know me, folks, I stop like every three seconds and I've got to break it down and analyze it for you. So just a quick reminder, uh, you can listen to episode 111, 110, uh, maybe 109. I think if you want to hear everything that came out of this International Monetary Fund panel discussion on CBDCs from October 2022. But again, the uh, moderator, not the moderator, the host of this event is Kristalina Georgieva. She already spoke. I don't think she comes back up in this. She is the uh, managing director of the International Monetary Fund. And then we have Queen Maxima of the Netherlands. She spoke. She kind of opened up this panel discussion. She's a big pusher of central bank digital currency. We then have Kathleen Hayes. She is the global economics and policy editor for Bloomberg TV and radio. She covers Federal Reserve, central banks, etc. Then we have the International Monetary Fund Deputy Managing Director, Bo Lee, who admitted to us that the CBDC is, in fact, programmable. They could decide what you buy, when you buy, and where you buy. He also talked about how they're tracking... Every single transaction down to a cup of coffee you buy, where you buy it, who you buy it from, when you buy it. And that this information collected by the central banks, which uh, they say are part of the public sector, part of the government, they're going to package that up and sell that data on you to the commercial banks, the so-called private sector, so that they could run a real-time credit score on you. And then he relates that to what they're doing in China, where uh, he was working before. He was uh, with the People's Bank of China as the deputy governor. That's their central bank. And so they're packaging your data on the governmental side and then selling it over to the so-called private sector. Then we have Cecilia Skingsley. She's the head of the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub. And they're building a lot of the technology around central bank digital currency. In cooperation with Consensus, the company owned by Joe Lubin, who was co-founder of Ethereum with Vitalak Buterin, who was funded by transhumanist technocrat and government contractor Peter Thiel to actually build Ethereum, of which Ethereum is now the backbone of many of the central bank digital currency projects. All right, then we have Vera Songwe. She's out of the United Nations, and she's in charge of this Africa project. And Africa is a big target, a bunch of indigenous folks that we're not banking, and they're getting them all lined up with uh, digital currency. And finally, we have Perry Wargeo. He is the governor, the head of the Indonesian Central Bank, and he was also executive director of the International Monetary Fund. All right. So that's all the people that we are going to be hearing from, ladies and gentlemen. And we've got about 15 minutes left of this one hour and five minute panel discussion. So I'm going to pick back up where we left off. We are at the end of... um A question that CeCe answered, that's Cecilia Skingsley, head of the BIS Innovation Hub. And it's getting kicked back over to Kathy from Bloomberg, who is the moderator of this panel discussion. All right, let's pick it up right here, folks.
0: That means I can move on to Vera. Uh, And another really big issue, uh, and again, I think for people who are very much deep in the weeds here and just people talking about it, wondering about it, is financial integrity. It's money laundering. It's a financial crime. Uh, you, you have to set up the system so that you counter that. You don't let it happen as much as you can. And it, it happens in any kind of monetary system. But at the same time, you don't want to make the barriers so tight, I guess, that people can't get in. How do you view that and how do you view the best way forward as these systems develop? I think that's a very good question. If you think about it, on the continent, where over 50 countries and we are all trading with each other most of our trade goes from country a to new york and then to country b on the continent it's very difficult to find trades that go from south africa to angola or zambia to to in because the currencies are different but also because we're trying to standardize the currency either in dollars first but part of that then means that the know your client requirements are a lot more stringent and a lot more difficult. However, there is a very good example that is happening right now between Thailand and Hong Kong, where they are already working on CBDCs and testing out, you know, on one of the more active trade highways, how can we actually make that work? That is an experiment that is happening as we speak, and on the continent we are looking at it.
1: Right. So she's talking about, this is Vera Songwe speaking from the UN Africa project, but she's talking about the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub Embridge project that we read about. And that was designed by consensus that I just mentioned before. And it's run on top of Ethereum. So right now she's talking about taking all these different countries in Africa and having this CBDC trade go right between them instead of having commercial banks in the middle uh, out of New York City in uh, United States. Let's continue.
0: Say, not only does it reduce cost, because first of all, we don't have to go to city and pay the additional uh, uh, transactions cost. It reduces time, but it also helps with some of this information and data that you spoke about in terms of the integrity of the data, the transparency of the data. And so I think that one of the.
1: Yeah, integrity and transparency of data, Uh, but but everything is going back to the central bank. The central bank is the only middleman in this system. I mean, in their ideal version of the system, you will have Dustin. Purchasing something from Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays. Dustin, purchasing from Maria, and the transaction will only run through the, uh, the central bank. And that's what they want. And then they collect all this data that they are then going to sell or give to the commercial bank so-called private sector partners in order to grease their wheels and get them on. As they talked about yesterday, Bo Lee brought this up. He's the deputy managing director of the International Monetary Fund. And he talked about packaging this data and then selling it to the private sector. And that's how they're going to get the private sector on board with this system. Now, we've heard over various panel discussions that they're also going to incentivize the commercial banks, the so-called private sector, to get on board with this and to lend their infrastructure, their existing infrastructure, and to allow CBDC to flow through that infrastructure by promising them that they can handle all of the retail Bank accounts. So you and I can still have a bank account, let's say, with Chase Bank or Wells Fargo, TD Bank, Bank of America, one of these banks. But that's going to handle all of our central bank digital currency. So in between, they keep talking about this idea that data is being protected and all this nonsense. Fuck, they're just gathering data on you. But what you're not realizing, uh, I think most people don't realize is that data isn't just to sell off to a marketing company so that Petco can deliver you better ads when you're scrolling through Facebook, wasting your time looking at people's posts. No, this is so they could run a real-time credit score on you, as Bo Lee mentioned, and what they're testing out and doing in China, but that rolls back into the social score system. So if you're going and drinking at a bar called uh, American Bills, right? American Bills Redneck Bar and Grill. If the system doesn't like that, The way that the algorithm is programmed so the artificial intelligence mainframe picks that up you might be blacklisted you might go into a timeout and you can't buy anything for 24 hours see this is where it's all headed and so what she's talking about this nonsense that the data is protected there's more security they are so full of it folks they're so full of it all right let's continue
0: things that the cbdc's can do well and we're all watching the thailand Hong Kong example, I think uh, yeah. you know well about it, yeah, to see really how you know it's going to pan out, and maybe that will be something that on the continent, we work with the IMF, the BIS, and many others, to see how we can, at least for the bigger, larger trading blocks on the continent, put that in place. And again, as you said, I think it will take away, we also have the issue of correspondent banking, and correspondent banking has been a very, very difficult problem for us since 2008 because once there was once there is any kind of uh, semblance of malfeasance in a banking system you know then you get correspondent banks shut down which means that there are no letters of credit for small businesses, people don't have access uh, to to capital for trade. A lot of the trade that is done in the developed world is essentially, you know, rollover trading, you buy, you sell, you get more resources. And when you have the correspondent banks closing because of issues of integrity or lack of uh, knowledge and, you know, your client, it becomes much more difficult. We believe that with central bank digital currencies, some of these issues, we hope with the right legislation, as you've said, and with better data management will take some of that away.
1: Okay, so she's just giving you a bunch of examples here, uh, really talking to, let's say, the merchants, how they're gonna help them be able to trade faster. Remember, she's selling this idea to people in Africa. That's her job, that's her position. And so she needs to be able to sell them. But they already mentioned in what we analyzed yesterday, that it's easier for them to push this system, a central bank digital currency, into areas where the people are so-called unbanked or underbanked than it is to come into a place like the United States where we're used to this system and then try to sell us on a new system. So she's giving you a bunch of reasons uh, how they're going to sell this idea, creating all these problems right? that their current system has or they're going to intentionally make those problems much worse like let's say you wanted to drive somebody out of at&t intentionally and push them into comcast now they gave an example yesterday uh cc did the head of the bis innovation hub and she said we can push people into the system uh, if we basically don't give them any other options so let's say they wanted to shut at&t down and move everybody over to t-mobile So instead of just announcing that that's what they're doing, they just get rid of all customer service at AT AT&T. So you go online and you try to chat with the support and there's no support. You try to call and you just talk to a robot. You could never get a human on the phone. You go down to the brick and mortar store and it's closed. You go on their website to try to order a new product and you can't log in. See, all of a sudden you say, I'm closing my AT&T account magically that's the one phone number that works and you get a guy who goes okay i understand we'll close the account and they drive everyone over to t-mobile or verizon or cricket or whatever it may be see that's what they're doing they're going to create they're going to engineer problems in the system they currently control in order to push people into the new system so that's why she is talking about all these problems that were not problems most of this supply chain stuff was not a problem before COVID landed the high school theater production. Yeah, there's people talking about how the problem started years earlier. But as the central bankers, as the big guys, the elites, the prison planet wardens, the social engineer in class, grabs hold of this stuff and they monopolize and they centralize uh, the supply chains, the warehouses, the distribution through companies like Amazon, then they're also able to orchestrate kinks in the supply chain structure because they control it from top down and then they can say look the supply chains are shutting down the only way to resolve this is with central bank digital currency this goes back to the founding of technocracy incorporated the science of social engineering and how they can engineer the decisions made by the public this all has to tie in with problem reaction solution and the solution right now because that's a lot to absorb is for me to go to a quick break my name is dustin gold this is the dust gold standard i'll be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold or listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on TV. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash Gold.